According to the National Center for Education, in the graduating class of 2019, the U.S. expects to graduate 3.6 million high school students. 3.6 million. And an additional 0.4 million graduates in private schools. So 3.6 are in public schools and 0.4 million in private schools. Um, that represents about the number of students eligible for and about the number of students in the population. Also, from that class of a few years ago, but today, this year, graduating beyond high school, according to the uh, National Center for Education, uh, this year, in 2019, the U.S. will award 1 million associate's degrees. That's uh, the two-year degree, associate degree. 1.9 million bachelor's degrees, that's, that's college degrees, 1.9 million, 780,000 master's degrees, and only 182,000 PhDs or doctorates, MDs and the like. It gets smaller as you go. It's a, but it's a nice, healthy class, nice, healthy-sized class. And um, we have a number of those in our own community. How many of you guys have been to a graduation in the last week or two weeks? Okay. I've been to four so far, and I'm just sort of halfway there. My favorite, uh, by far, was kindergarten, kindergarten graduation. <laughs> uh, we have some of our kindergartners graduating here. And the reason for it is because they are so excited about moving to first grade. They are so excited. They sing that song, first grade, first grade, right? How do you guys hear that? It's like a Frank Sinatra thing. Yeah, they're so excited. They're so cute. They're like this big. They're tiny voices. And it reminded me of the time when my kiddies were graduating. But, but it's so much fun, at least at the academy. It's a small class, so they get to do it all up. Um, but they are just thrilled about going to first grade. They want to know what's next. They want to, you know, I don't know if you all went to kindergarten. I never got the privilege. Anybody else? Uh, you guys went to kindergarten? Maybe you graduated too? Uh, kindergarten was at home. I stayed with my mom. But um, I wanted to be like my older brothers. I wanted to be in school. And I think kindergartners feel that way. They get to go and, you know, be with the rest of the people and just get in. But I think that as the graduations move on, there's less and less excitement post-graduation. Am I right? So I went to eighth grade class. They had fun too. But they're a little bit like, I don't know, they're a little cool. I don't know, you know, they're, they're a little nervous about being in high school. It's like starting over. You're the you're top of the totem pole in eighth grade, and you get to be a freshman. And high school graduates, it used to be they're excited we're going to leave home. But this year's high school graduating class, they look nervous. I was at a huge graduation just yesterday, 630 students, and I expected them to just be hooting and hollering. But they look really nervous. I don't know if it's the time. You know, this is part of our culture, but they're really anxious about what's going to happen next. A number of them don't know if they'll be going to college. A number of them don't know if the financing will be. There's some big questions. Um, I haven't been to a college graduation yet this year. I'm on my way to one soon. But I'm wondering how excited they will be to finish or maybe how nervous they will be about facing the real world. There's more and more anxiety in our culture today. There's more and more 
people that are worried about what will happen next. At least I remember during school, I knew exactly what I was going to be doing at the end of summer. <laughs> you know, you're just going to, it was all sort of pre planned. But I do remember uh, looking out at the great beyond after high school and having great hopes and dreams. Anybody else like me? And yet, and yet, sometimes those plans don't work out. Sometimes the best plans we make don't always turn out the way we planned them to be. I certainly remember my senior year in high school. I was thinking about this because I was part of the graduation at the academy last week. I, that's why I wasn't here. I was, uh, I was moonlighting at PB, uh, at Paradise Valley Church. Uh, I was invited to be a part. And I was thinking about it because I remember uh, having my own graduation experience. I was telling the principal who was here this morning that uh, we've had the privilege here at Bonita of hosting the graduating class, at least since I've been in high school, so 30 years or so. On Friday nights, they come here to Benita, and uh, we have a consecration service. And I remember myself being here, being in the lobby, taking a picture. And I was thinking back about those, di- those days. And I do remember with, like, vivid memories, finishing my last day of high school and just being so excited about the next step. Because I had a plan. I had it all planned out. Um, <laughs> I know the students do some like this still because I, I saw them. But when I was a senior in, in high school, I took a class. I don't remember what it was called now. But it was about like uh, life skills. I had to have a, a check register. Um, y'all never know what that is. But like it's the thing where you write your... Anyway, and I had to make a budget. And they partnered you with someone. And you have to create like this, this budget where you would, you would uh, research what job you were going to have and how much money you were going to have. And you have to, you know, parse it out, what you were going to spend, where you were going to live. It was, and I had it all down to the details. I don't remember my partner at the time, and that's not really important. The important part is I had a plan. In my plan, I had every dollar accounted for. I knew exactly what I was going to drive. You don't want to ask me because I was very sensible in my choice. I'm not really proud of it. It's a Mitsubishi. But um, it, was, it was very sensible in my choice because, you know, I had my budget. I knew what I was going to do with my money. I knew exactly where I was going to live. And I kind of also knew who I was going to marry. I had that in my plan. It wasn't the, you know, the person I was with at the time, so they weren't in my plans. But I had this plan, and it's all going to go to fruition. In my senior year in high school, like, I knew it. I knew exactly how it was going to go down. I had these plans. I knew exactly what I was going to do. Uh, early in my high school career, uh, I decided that I wanted to be an electrical engineer. I was good at math. I had a cousin up ahead uh, at USC who was studying, and I said, that's my path. That's my plan. In fact, I was so convinced that I didn't apply anywhere else except one school. Now, they say that's not really a good strategy. You know, you never know. But I was like, eh, one track, one track. I made one application, wrote one essay, only sent one stamp, bought one stamp, sent it only to one place. I was convinced that it was going to work out. And I actually was very, very confident that God was on my side. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like that when you're making plans, you're like so confident. You're like, you're thinking, God must be involved here because I feel so good about this. And so I sent that off, and sure enough, the, uh, the acceptance letter came in, and I said to my friends and my teachers and my parents, see, I told you, I told you. Uh, it was all working out, and I was so confident and convinced that that's the way it was going to be, and I was going to move to South Central Los Angeles and be a Trojan and just, you know, live happily ever after. I had it all mapped out. So when I finished high school, I remember the last days just thinking, yeah, I'm out of here. I know where I'm going next. I don't have to worry. It was going to be fantastic. 
until I got there, uh, my freshman year in college was fun but very disorienting. See, um, my class was a class of uh, 33 students in high school, my graduating class. My freshman incoming class was something like 6,000 people at uh, SC. Um, and uh, <clears throat> because I was very concerned about the finances, I, I didn't live in a dorm. I lived in a place where you could cook your own meals, uh, which meant that I had a loaf of bread. Um, no peanut butter, no jelly. No, I had a loaf of bread. Don't laugh. Don't judge me. A can of condensed milk. And those 10 for a dollar uh, ramen noodles, baby. That's right. <laughs> a loaf of bread, a can of condensed milk. And, 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 uh, and my mom would, of course, send me some money for food, but I spent it on the phone bill because <laughs> I was a freshman in college. Uh, back in the day, guys, you used to have to pay for long distance. You guys don't know anything about that. But, yeah, yeah I spent it on the phone bill. But suddenly I find myself very dis disoriented because my plans weren't working out. Turns out I wasn't as outgoing as I thought I was, nor popular, <laughs> nor friendly. I had no friends. <laughs> it was a loss in a huge place, and nobody looked like me. And suddenly I found myself really isolated and alone because sometimes our best laid plans don't turn out the way we want them to. Amen? Even with our best intentions. Sometimes we just don't end up where we think we're going to end up. And I think that's exactly um, how the people felt in the story that I'm about to read to you. It's found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And I want you to go there with me, please. Wherever you are in your story today, if you're staring out the great beyond, just finishing high school, or if you've, got, if you've got a few years of experience under your belt, I think you can identify with what I'm about to read to you today because most of us at some point are, have experienced that feeling where your plans didn't go the way you wanted them to go. Certainly in my freshman dorm, my, my, my first year, I don't know why I'm telling you this, is probably oversharing, but my roommate was from Iowa. <laughs> he had a mullet. You guys know what a mullet is? Very short here, long there. He was a wrestler in high school from Iowa. He was a big, beefy dude. And um, <clears throat> he claimed the bottom bunk because... He was bigger than me. And he, um, we lived in a studio, and he claimed the entire living room as his laundry basket. He would just take off his clothes, and, and the mound began to build, build, and I would have walk around it to get to the kitchen. Anyway, that was my freshman year, and I, I felt so alone and isolated, I didn't have a voice. And I was like, this isn't working out the way I planned. <laughs> This isn't exactly the glamorous life of the electrical engineer that I thought I was going to be. Maybe you can identify with that, but I think that's exactly what's happening in, here in the book of, of Jeremiah chapter 20. I'm going to read to you, but I want you to read along with me. Please, if you're there, say amen. Okay, that's not enough for you guys. I see you all not looking in your Bibles. You're here at church. You're here to read the Word of God, so open up. Book of Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read verse 4, and this is what it says. Verse 4, chapter 29. And this is what the God Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So here's what you got to know. This letter was written and sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. But the scenario here, and if you read chapter 28 and 29, the scenario here is that the people this letter is addressed to are people who are feeling exactly how I felt that year. Freshman dorm. 
They are displaced. See, the people of God had been promised by God long before that they were going to cross over the Jordan and they were going to settle into the land flowing with, anyone? Milk and honey. It was going to be a prosperous land. They were going to have opportunities to build deep roots and grow their kingdom. They were going to be amazing. There were going to be a city on a hill and they were going to bless the entire place, but it was going to be theirs. God had promised that to them. But after they had crossed over, things just didn't go the way they planned. They struggled over and over. We've read about that. We've discussed that. From time to time, people would come and ransack their places. Some, they would steal their stuff, but they kept fighting and they kept fighting. But this time, this time, they were actually not just ravaged their, their, their crops and their property. This time, a neighboring empire, the Babylonian Empire, came and they kidnapped their people. They took them. They came to, to Jerusalem and stole the best and brightest, all the, all the, all the young men, all the young women, all the most, the prettiest and the smartest, all, anyone of value, the rulers, it didn't matter who you were, they were all kidnapped wholesale and taken to Babylon and forced to work as slaves. We know this because we studied the book of Daniel at length this last year. But they were there as slaves, but some people were left behind. Back in Jerusalem were just the elderly, the sickly, those with disabilities, Nothing but those that couldn't really grow the kingdom. They were left behind, seen as useless by the Babylonians. But they took everybody else. Everybody who they felt was of any serviceable worth was taken. And this letter is written from Jerusalem to Babylon to those people. See, at the time this letter is written, they've been in Babylon for about 10 years already. Now think about that for just a second. Now the, the, when it happened, when when. Good old King Nebuchadnezzar came in as he was growing his empire and he basically kidnapped all these people and took them. There was probably some time where they thought, well, this is terrible, but we can get out of this. We can fight our way out of this situation. In fact, in Babylon, amongst the Jews, there was always people thinking uprising. We're going we're gonna to break out some way, somehow. We're going to murder the king. We're going to do something. But after a year or so of being a slave, or maybe two or three, you begin to settle into this idea that oh, things are not going to improve. But 10 years? See, at the 10-year mark comes this realization, <laughs> 10 years, that things aren't going to change, right? 10 years, a decade. It's a significant marker. About a decade in, the Jews that are in exile. They're now serving as slaves. They were, they were you know, leaders, civic Leaders with property and influence, but now they were just slaves like Daniel. But after 10 years, a big disillusionment set in. And they began to wonder and wrestle and, and face the reality of the disappointment. 10 years. And then they get this letter. And this is what God Almighty says. This is Jeremiah writing, and it's sent, and then it's read there. And he says to those that I carried into exile, verse 5, chapter 29, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase their number, do not decrease. It's a strange comment from God. 
because the people are in exile. They're literally in slavery, in captivity, and God says to them, you guys should just carry on, get over it, move on. Have sons and daughters, get, give your kids in marriage and let them have sons. You know what he's actually saying? You're going to be there for a while. Can you imagine receiving that letter? You knowing that you've been captured, <laughs> you are now in exile, <laughs> and God's saying, yeah, you're going to be there for a while. It must have been very disappointing to receive this letter from Jeremiah. In fact, uh, theologians tell us that Jeremiah was not very well liked in Jerusalem because he was always bringing bad news from God. <laughs> he was not very well liked here, so I'm sure he's not well liked in Babylon either. And he's telling the people, you're going to be there for a while. It's a, it's a very distressing news there. The people are, are hearing. God says, uh, pray, I mean, uh, have sons, have daughters, let your kids get married, give them away in marriage. Increase the number, do not decrease. Verse 7, look at this. And he says, and also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Because if it prospers, you will prosper too. He tells them, you should help build Babylon. You should Pray for its prosperity. You should, you should do good things there, which must have been kind of conflicting for them because they're slaves. And God is saying, do good work as a slave and pray that your masters prosper. It's confusing. But you have to understand why. He continues, and he says to them, and he says, uh, verse 8, Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Don't let the prophets and the miners among you deceive you. Don't listen to them and the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. Because see, amongst the people 10 years in, there were still people saying, no, God wants this. God wants that. God wants to do this. God is going to deliver us. God's going to, we're going to leave right now. We're going to find a way. And God says, I have not sent those people. It's a strange letter. You've probably never read it this way, but it's a strange letter helping people to see the reality of their circumstance. This is what the Lord says, verse 10. When seven years are completed, I will come to you, and I will fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Seventy years. This is year 10, and God says, you're going to be there for a while, but 60 more years, technically. <laughs> Seventy years are completed, then I'll come for you. Now, why am I reading this to you? Because it sounds very depressing at first glance, but here's the reality, and I'm just going to be honest with you. They were there because of the choices they made while they were back in Jerusalem. See, sometimes our best laid plans, even our best intentions, are not necessarily the plans of God. And when we follow our own plans, we end up in places like Babylon. I ended up in South Central L.A. <laughs> Those were my best laid plans. It was funny to me because on Friday nights I'd be in the dorm and outside my dorm. It's right out of the Exposition Boulevard. There were always helicopters, ambulances, and gunshots. Uh, but inside, it's supposed to be safe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that's where I ended up. But those were my best laid plans. But I was convinced that God was on my side and he was blessing me. The thing is, the thing is, how do you know? How are you convinced? See, the people in Jerusalem, they had God's favor, but they kept being attracted by other ideas, other philosophies. The Baba tells it, calls it other gods. But basically, they would look at the neighboring peoples, and they would say, I like what you guys are doing. What is that? Let's, let's experiment with that. It's not any different than what you and I are living with. We are 
Christians, Seventh-day Adventist Christians, you have grown up under the favor and grace of God, but every day you are surrounded by other ideas, other influences, other philosophies, other gods. And it's easy to get tempted into pursuing those threads. And sometimes we are even fooled into thinking that God wants you to. That our best intentions will be blessed by God as we pull on these threads that are not from God. And when we do that, we sometimes find ourselves in Babylons. Places we didn't intend to go and we didn't set out to go, but that's where we are. Sounds really nice. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that all the situations that you find in are of your own doing. Because... Because the world isn't like that. Sometimes you're in a mess because someone else, right? But there are times, and this is where they have to own up and why God is sending this letter. And maybe you and I have to do the same. There are some things that we've got to recognize that came from our own choosing. Some decisions that we've made that have put us in these positions. And that's why God says, look, you're going to be there for a while because that is what you chose. Do you hear me? You're going to be there for a while because that is what you chose. You see, God loves us and, and pursues us, but he does not control us. And if he were to fix every mistake right after he made it, it's the equivalent of control. And he will not do that. And though it breaks his heart, sometimes he lets you live the circumstances or the, the consequences of your choice. So he's telling the people, you chose that. I beg you, you read it, read it. Over and over and over again, God says, come back to me, come back to me. Don't stray, don't stray, don't stray. Over and over again. He lets them learn, lets them learn, but they continue to chase after other ideas. And finally God says, okay, have it your way. And that's how they ended up in Babylon. In fact, the, 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 the prophet here says that Babylon becomes an instrument. That's that was characterized. I, I carried you into exile. The things that I said, it's as if God is saying, hopefully the consequences will teach you the lesson that you haven't been willing to learn by the wisdom that I give you. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth, especially you guys that are younger. You have two ways of learning it. Experience is not the best teacher. It is the most expensive teacher. It costs so much to learn by experience. Right, parents? The funny thing is, you know, I, I, my, my daughter's getting ready here. She's going to be a sophomore, and I'm nervous about that, obviously. But I remember being like her age and thinking, my parents don't know nothing. Right, right? You're, and they were like, oh, mijo this, mijo that. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to USC. <laughs> Right? It's this thing, right? It's this, 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 I don't know, it's like a gift that God gives us in our youth that we feel invincible. It's not going to happen to us. It won't go wrong for us. We can handle this. But unfortunately, we have to learn from our own experiences. And yet, those seem to leave scars. And God is saying to the people here, it's going to be a seven-year scar on you. You're going to have kids and grandkids in captivity. And a number of them would never return. You see that? They would never receive the blessing of returning. Sometimes, despite the fact that we are, listen, I'm just telling the truth, despite the fact that we have repented, we're still going to suffer the consequences in this earth. 
It's the truth. Just because I said I'm sorry to you doesn't necessarily erase the pain that I caused you. Right? That's the truth. The better outcome, which God says, is don't do anything you'll have to apologize. <laughs> if you would never left my hand, you would never be carried off into exile. But God says, I know where you are. I know you're living. But I want you to know that even though you're there, I have not forgotten about you. After 70 years, God says, I will come to you. Listen, listen. I want you to promise to wash over you. God says, I will return. I will fulfill my promise to you because I know the plans I have. I know the plans I have, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call upon my name and pray to me, and I will listen. And then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you. God says, even in the middle of that consequences, even in that middle of that mess, yes, I know you got yourself into it, but even there, I have not forgotten the promise I have made to you. And I will come for you, and I will fulfill, because I know the plans that I have for you. Do you believe that? I'm asking you to believe it if you're in a season where you have made some mistakes. And maybe right now, in this moment, you're living in the consequences of those mistakes, or the mistakes of others, and I just don't want you to feel like God has abandoned you, because he has not. For God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and to bless you, to give you a hope and a future. And maybe there are some of us here today that just, that just need to let that wash over. God has better plans. God has better plans. Even our best intentions, even our best dreams and wishes don't have the benefit of his wisdom. God has better plans. So, close your ears. So my, um, my freshman year, second semester, I started skipping class. Close your ears. This is not for you. <laughs> Take a guess what I was doing instead. Ramen noodle? No, I wasn't sleeping. I should have. I was playing volleyball. <laughs> I played I played in the gym I played on the sand then back to the gym then back to the sand back to the court right in my so I was playing volleyball I was playing so much I hurt myself I went to the doctor the doctor said oh you have tendonitis what do I do with that you need to stop playing volleyball just went right back to it so you know what happens when you start missing class <laughs> nothing actually nothing happens at, uh, at USC nobody cares uh, there's no attendance taken. Nobody knows you're missing. Nobody cares. The only thing that matters is when you show up for test that you're going to fail, which is exactly what I, what I did. <laughs> I went through that physics, that physics exam, and I was like, what in the world is this? <laughs> what? I uh, scribbled a little bit. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I went, marched myself to the administration's office. I, I need to drop this class. They're like, it's too late. I was like, I'm going to get an F, so I'd rather take a drop than an F. The thing is, <laughs> the thing is, when you are in exile, when you're in a place where things aren't working out, you lose your purpose, you lose your way, and you get easily sidetracked from your true self, from who you are meant to be. So there I was, you know, at USC, scholarships and all, playing volleyball and flunking physics. That's just the truth I'm telling you. Don't tell my daughter. Her ears are closed. She's not even paying attention right now. And it wasn't because I was a bad person or, you know, 
I was trying to be the best I could be, but I'm just telling you that sometimes we are convinced we're doing the will of God, but it's only our plans and not his. So I found myself a bit rudderless my freshman year in college. And I'm just telling you because I'm identifying with this. And I felt a little bit trapped. And this isn't the word I heard, but there was another pastor whose sermon I had on tape who spoke words over me that felt like this promise. For I know the plans, and I began to hear this echo in my heart, that God had plans for me. Something that I'd known all my life, but for the moment, I was in charge of my own life. I was in charge. I was driving, finally. But God had spoken a word over me long before that. And you know the story. You know how this goes. I gave up that school, went to PUC, gave up the scholarships and the admiration of all the people that I'd known and my family and all that stuff. But you know what? I'm just telling you the truth. God has better plans. God has better plans. I, I can't even imagine myself as an electrical engineer. I think I would have been so bored. But I have been fortunate enough to live at times under God's plans. And they are far better than the ones we can create for ourselves. So this week, as I've been going to graduations and thinking, I've just been exercising my gratitude muscle to God for, for allowing me the privilege of tasting a little bit but not being lost forever <laughs> and giving me the chance to pivot and return back to the path that he had cleaned on my life when I was a kid that would follow in my father's footsteps. And I'm so grateful for that. So, so if you're out there and you're in a moment where you need to pivot, I just want to tell you that it's possible. That God knows his plans. And when the time comes, the opportunity to pivot will present itself. And you can trust him. And he will lead you. He hasn't forgotten about you. But, but if you're a little bit below that, now this is for my daughter. I want to give you this counsel. I think the counsel I should have received when I was your age. It's found in Psalms 119. I'm just going to read it to you. And this is what it says, verse 9, chapter 119, verse 9. For those of you that maybe are graduating, you're getting ready to step out, maybe to high school, maybe the first grade, maybe to college, or maybe beyond, or, or, or you're in a season in your life where the, the slate is clean, you're about to make a move, and you're not quite sure, I, I, I want to encourage you with this blessing. This is what the Bible says. How can a young man or a young woman keep his or her way pure? How do we live? How do we do it, God? We're getting ready to sit out. How do we do it? This is what the Word of God says. By living according to your word, I will seek you with all my heart. And don't let me stray for your commands, for I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. That's the secret. That's the secret. Stay close to the word of God. It's the check mark. It is the filter through which you have to pass your plans. If they do not line up according to his word, those are yours. They're not his. It is the filter that helps us discern which decisions will receive his favor and which will just be our consequences. If the people of, of Jerusalem at that time, if they had listened to God and heeded his words, they would never have gone into exile or needed captivity to correct them. And you and I must do the same. 
whether you're in high school or you're midlife crisis, we must hide God's word in our heart that we may not sin against him. We must ask for him to teach us his decrees so that we don't stray from his commands, and we must seek him with all our hearts. You know what that means? That means I seek him at every decision-making point, not just the big ones. Not just the ones that have to do with, you know, the big stuff, which job and which person. No, every single one of them. How will I conduct myself today? How will I eat today? Where will I spend my money? How will I respond to my kids, my wife, my best friends? How will I communicate? What will I publish on my feed? Seeking God with all our heart means that he becomes the definer of who I am. And when we do that, the psalmist says here, our way will be kept pure. The only way to avoid the Babylons is to trust in the wisdom that God has made available. Made available. And you know, I'm going to tell you this also, because when I was in your position, Leila, I didn't have any adult friends. My only friends were parallel to me. And you know, our friends are with the best intentions, but they don't know better. <laughs> They're just like you, right? So sometimes God's wisdom is given to us through the benefit of people in our lives, those that have gone before. They may not be your parents. They might be somebody else who has the benefit of their experience, and it is our opportunity to learn from their wisdom. So learn from them. The wisdom of God is hidden in his word. Find someone who has hidden God's word in their heart. And then ask them to help you gauge this decision, these choices. It's why God gave us each other, right, friends? That's why we're here. And that's why I'm telling you, maybe some of you guys, your kids are gone, now your kids are grown, but you are just becoming useful. <laughs> Trust me, your experience is absolutely necessary. We need each other. We need each other to help keep our way pure. We need each other to hold each other accountable. We need each other so that we don't have to end up in places that we regret. We need each other to call back in us the truth that God has not forgotten his promise, but that we can pivot from where we are. Whether you're just starting or you've, got a, you've gone a ways, there is a chance that today is your day that God wants you to come back. For I know the plans I have for you. For I know the plans that I have. And I'm telling you, friends, God's plans are better plans. They're better plans. Sometimes it's hard to believe it. It certainly was for me when I was younger. It was difficult to understand and to believe that God could want that. But if there's anything that I've learned in 20 years of professional ministry is that God's ways are always better. He's thought them through much more than we could ever think them through. And sometimes we just got to trust it, even if the present circumstances don't seem like it. The people in Babylon are like, but we're in captivity and we're going to be here for a while. And God says, but I will come to you. And because he did, you and I are sitting here today because God was faithful to them and rescued them and his name was worshiped and, 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 and carried forward from generation to generation. We have a chance to believe in that living God today. You see, God is faithful. He will keep his word because his plans are better. He's got better plans. So my blessing for you today is that you would trust him instead of yourself. Even in your best intentions, lay it before God, let him choose for you. Let him decide for you. 
He can be trusted. Let's praise God together in gratitude for all that He has done and all that He has yet to do. Let's lift them up. As the psalmist says, I will hide your word in my heart and I will praise your Lord. They go hand in hand. For when his word comes in, praises must come out. Let us stand and sing. We love you, Jesus. Please join me. Let's sing and we praise God and thank him for all the achievements of this graduating class, but also praise him for how he will guard and protect them as they face their future. Let's thank God and let's honor him with our words and with our thoughts. Let's seek him with all our hearts.